Playback, a Variety podcast. I'm your host, Variety Awards editor Chris Tapley. On today's show, we take a few reader questions and discuss the three major contenders of the season, Moonlight, La La Land, and Manchester by the Sea. A little bit later, I'll be talking to Lions star Dev Patel. So stick around. All right, folks, I'm back with Janelle. Did you miss she, me? She took, a, she took a week off. I did. I can't speak for everybody else. <laughs> um, if you didn't, please don't let me know. <laughs> uh, people have their, their ways of getting at us on Twitter. In oh, fact, we, we, we sent getting up a flare at us this is, week. is a great phrase, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Getting under our skin. I did send up a flare this week, though, to get some questions. And maybe I saw. Help us uh, through some of our chatter this week. Uh, let's dive into those because uh, actually, before that, can we just talk? Because it's so no, rarely no. I happens. want to do this. No, okay, no. it so rarely happens that I'm right about something, and I predicted Lafka would go with oh, Moonlight. Well, so did I. Yeah, I mean, I look. look let me have this. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> I know it's not like a huge surprise out of left field, but I never get the critics' awards right. They can be tricky. Yeah. I thought that New York was going to do Manchester. Me and too. LA was going to do Moonlight. Did not see La La Land coming for New York. I thought if anything, La La Land would come from L.A., obviously. And, you know, I mean, let's be honest. I think Moonlight was always going to win the L.A. film critics. But New York picking La La Land as best picture, I'm sure, made some people not want to pick it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like Peter said on our our show last week, sometimes L.A. will look at New York and say, okay, they've taken that off the table. We don't have to. You can't not let it affect you. Although, um, I do have to point out that Mahershala Ali won Best Supporting Actor in both. He is, uh, I think he's, who won the Gotham? No, they don't do supporting. Right. Yeah, he's, and plus he's he, the strongest he won a so far, ensemble certainly. award for that, so I don't think they were eligible. Yeah, yeah. Oh, by the way, I'm just seeing you now. I, I didn't get to tell you. I ran into Peter Berg yesterday. Oh, boy. <laughs> and uh, asked if he knew what a fan um, we were, specifically <laughs> you. And uh, he's like, yeah, sign me up. So make that happen. I have an email in my inbox right now. Oh, really? Yeah. About, see, it works fast. It does. But he is delightful, by the way. Yeah. I mean, have you ever interviewed him? No, I've just seen him at, like, functions yeah. and stuff. But, I mean, uh, no nonsense and funny. And some of the stories he has about Patriot's Day, I kind of don't want to spoil it because I know, like, um, but there is something to do with an OnStar tracking device uh-huh. that I was asking if it was true or not. And he has he has an amazing story about that. He has an amazing story about the actor who plays the main bomber, how he mm-hmm. basically walked in off the street and got this part. That guy is... is He's fantastic like a yeah. spitting image it's freaky yeah uh yeah i remember i met peter at some bar party and the girl he was with was named happiness that's what i remember <laughs> oh what did he tell me yesterday oh do you know how he got a sag card oh boy let's hear it this is he... janelle's favorite question every q a has was... anybody ever like had to answer that question obviously i guess they have like multiple times because they're always on panels with... no i try not to if i know i've asked them before okay, okay. um yeah sometimes i start with like, the like first damn it time. janelle i told you this last time <laughs> well, how did actually, he get a sad card? yeah uh he was anthony edwards's stand-in on miracle mile Oh. And yes, and then um, they needed somebody to basically like jump in a helicopter or something and say a line, so he did it and he got a SAG card. And uh, Mark Wahlberg was with him and then was very intrigued to know if um, Peter Berg was on Chicago Hope at the same time Anthony Edwards was on ER. And Peter was like, yeah, I was. And Mark was like, so you've just been following his shadow all these years. <laughs> <laughs> and Anthony's directing now. 
Anthony uh, Edwards. Edwards, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think what he's been doing that did? for a while, I think. Oh, he has? Maybe TV, but maybe I'm wrong. Hang on. I, I must know. Oh, you've got a computer here and everything. This is great. Because I thought that he was just now doing a feature. For some reason, I thought he'd been directing TV for a while, but I could Well, that's be, possible. I mean, yeah. people like direct TV like nobody's business, and you never even realize it. Yeah, yeah. Or make commercials. Oh, he was born in Santa Barbara. Who knew? The internet. Uh, yeah. <laughs> My Dead Boyfriend. That's the movie he has this year. He, did, he directed a bunch of VR episodes. He did. I see. That's what I thought, but I wasn't sure. But there's this movie called My Dead Boyfriend. Anyway. So, let's throw it up to the crowd. Uh... We've got a question from Tomris Laffley. You know Tomris. I right? love yeah. Tomris. She's great. She's curious to know. Uh, she says she's embarrassed to be behind a couple episodes. How dare you? <laughs> how dare you? Uh, how likely is it for Hooper to win Best Actress instead of Portman or Stone? Nah. You don't think so? Nah. I, I mean, I have to say the thing I always say is critics aren't voters. Yeah, me too. But, I mean, for a long time I wasn't even sure who pair could get nominated, and mm-hmm. uh, now she's looking like more and more of a surer thing. I, just knowing what that movie is, I, I, it's kind of hard to imagine the entire Academy saying, yes, my favorite performance of the year. It is a great performance, yeah. and she is a legend and all of that, but, you know a tough movie subject matter wise Mm -hmm. and uh i just hope she gets in because i know we've talked about this ad nauseum but some great people are going to be left out regardless of who the five are i think she's in do you think amy adams is in i feel better now uh i I haven't all year i feel you know i guess she's closer now than ever really in my mind but i think she's in the person i'm worried about is annette benning nah okay that would be striking it would be very striking. But you don't think Meryl is in? I don't. Yeah. So Which, I, I still uh, have know. her in there. I mean, she, look, she's fantastic, and she's Meryl, but... Yeah. It's, it, I mean, you look, you've got Ruth Nega, you've got Natalie Portman, you've got Emma Stone, you've got Taraji P. Henson. You don't think Taraji's it? No. I do, but um, it depends on... I think that movie's going to be huge. Yeah. So, we'll see. Well, I think uh, Emma's winning this... Yes. ...in a cakewalk at this point. That's the one movie that I've watched twice this year. Uh, watched it again over the weekend on screener because my Ugh. wife wanted to see it. I'm so mad because I had the screener of La La Land, mm-hmm. and I put it in, and this Marvel menu oh. <laughs> came up. And I was like, what is happening? It was Captain America Civil War. I don't understand how that happens with the two studios. Like, No, it wasn't them. It was the – oh, I shouldn't be saying this, but someone lent me the screener. And I called them, and I said <laughs> – I said you put – So they gave you the wrong one. I, well, but then they said, I don't own Captain America Civil War. So I don't know. Well, the plot thickens on this I one. I don't even know where to go. This is a mystery worthy of Paul Verhoeven. <laughs> All right. Mary Kringlefick. What a name. That's I a think his real name, name is Murphy. Uh, he's concerned about different films winning picture, director, and screenplay. He seems to think that La La Land will win picture, Moonlight would win best director, and Manchester, Manchester slash he thinks Silence would win screenplay. But that's not going to happen, sir. Silence um, is adapted anyway, right? It is, yeah. His question seems to be like, is it best to spread the love like that or is having a Best Picture winner that doesn't take director and screenplay bad? I don't think it's bad. I mean, they're all, you know, there's a holistic way to look at things, but then everything is its own discipline. So is the best film of the year the best directed film of the year? Probably. Mm -hmm. But I think there's examples where you can spread the love and and feel safe and it's not weird i have a weird feeling and i reserve the right to change my mind that director and picture will not split this year yeah i I think uh i mean look after i saw silence which is embargoed i I finally was able to say okay i think la la land is 
winning like eight Oscars. Like mm-hmm. I just at this point, I feel like I could be dead wrong. I mean, this hasn't happened since Slumdog. It's sweepers are very rare nowadays, but. You know, it's going to be so easy to give it like production design yeah. and, and costumes and stuff and like music. that. I could see that happening. Although the, music, the music is a categories. crazy competitive category. Yeah. Crazy, but I think yeah. it's tough to deny La La Land because the songs really are integral to the movie. Mm-hmm. Although I have to say in Hidden Figures, Pharrell has two songs that are so right for the period and also really sort of deal with the plot. Well, the first one does. Yeah, running. running is, that, is that's the, the one I think they should focus on, actually. I do, too. Vic, uh, I, I, what is the other one? I See a Victory. I See Victory, yeah, yeah, which actually is a song that I, I love, mm-hmm. but, but Running is the one that I feel is... It's the one that, w- yeah. when they have that screening of all of the songs in context, that's the one that'll probably pop. And obviously Moana. And I don't know that... You know, he says Moonlight winning director. Obviously Barry, as we just said before we yeah. started, that when it, he's won the trifecta so far. Um, I don't... You know, I don't know that that means he's going to win the Oscar. I think he absolutely deserves it. Mm-hmm. But, you know. This is a tough one for me because both movies are so beautifully directed. They're so different and amazing. And, like, you know, they have a chance to make history and yeah. award the first African-American director an Academy Award. Um, at the same time – oh, and he also did a great job, I should add. It's yeah. not just about yeah. that. Um, I think he's winning the screenplay. Really? Yeah. See, that's that's interesting. I think, I think that – that he'll he'll take that from Manchester. I'm, you don't I'm, think La La Land? I feel, I feel like weird right now because I never get into predicting winners until like late I know, in the season. I know. So. so now I'm, but now it's fair to start talking about it because we've basically seen everything, and, and we kind of know it's down to these three. Yeah, or maybe four. I'm still saying Hidden Figures could. You're big surprise. on Hidden Figures today. Uh, today I've been pretty big on Hidden Figures since I saw it, mainly because it's going to be such a crowd pleaser. We've got Kevin Costner coming up on the podcast in a couple of weeks. I think by he the gets way. nominated and is possibly the only threat to Mahershala Ali. Really? I do, wow. yeah. He's so good in that movie. This is from Josh Tarpley. Interesting last name. I thought oh I saw that yesterday <laughs> and I thought it said Tapley and I was like That's my brother. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do Academy voters put any weight behind the critics groups? Nope. Are they influential at all? Nope. In the collective, maybe because you just every all the noise is influential. Yes. But you know, no one says, "Well, the New York critics picked." You yeah, know, I don't. I don't really see. I mean, maybe regionally, like I'm sure. Yeah, you know, I spent a year covering the season in New York, and that was a very different group of Academy people mm-hmm. that you would see at every event. And it was a smaller group. Maybe they take a lot of stock in in New York critics. Uh, but I, yeah, I don't think. I think it's only in the aggregate that things start to influence personally i mean look it can't hurt to you know keep seeing isabel Huppert's name out there yeah and then it maybe well that's where say, it helps whenever yeah, someone's like the on the bubble yeah and it's like well this apparently isabel Huppert is great in this film and they put it in and they're like yes and, and that helps absolutely i think that's the critic's job really this time of year is to help elevate certain things that aren't getting the love you know speaking of can we talk about the critics choice award nominations real quick sure. and i'm very disappointed in all of you who did not put vigo mortensen in for a lead actor nomination well he got the comedy nomination this what that's how that's how the bfca like gets away with basically nominating everybody for everything like yeah they have comedy they categories Captain fantastic and so comedy. yeah so vigo's got a comedy nomination there and like noam chomsky is hilarious <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, the movie has comedy in it. In the same way that Manchester by the Sea has some really funny stuff in it. Yeah. 
but you're looking at me weird, but it's so funny. I was at, uh, we had a Q&A last week for mm-hmm. Manchester by the Sea, and I was waiting in the lobby, and I heard, like, these peals of laughter. Mm-hmm. And I was like, am I at the right theater? And then I remembered, like, oh, no, there's there's some really funny parts. Yeah, they have all these categories, these genre categories. It's like it's like the year they nominated Jennifer Lawrence, like, for Hunger Games and Action Movie and for Silver Linings and Comedy or whatever it was. It was just, like, all these opportunities to get her on the stage mm-hmm. to give a speech. And oh, and then Tony Kushner is accepting his award during the commercial break. That's really smart. <laughs> but I've berated them enough about that. Andrew Garfield, Silence or Hacksaw Ridge? Hacksaw or will Ridge. He cancel himself out. I agree. I think Hacksaw is going to be the more well liked film across the board. The Academy. I mean, I, oh God, I'm turning into one of these people who speaks as the Academy as a whole. But the Academy voters that I have talked to really love that movie. I think it's in for Best Picture. I think, I think it's Gibson so too. is close. I think Gibson is probably getting in. Uh, DGA seems possible. Yeah. Seems very possible. I told you, I think, that over the weekend I was at a hotel and they must have been doing some press for Hacksaw Ridge because, well, first I saw Vince Vaughn walk by and I was like, hey! And he's like, hey! And then I'm like, oh, I don't know you, sorry. You know, there's, <laughs> when you see someone like that you're really familiar with and then realize, oh, we don't know each other. Yeah. Um, and then I briefly ran into Andrew Garfield and I saw Mel Gibson leave and 30 seconds later Denzel Washington walked in. And I was like, had an interesting just, conversation. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, can I tell you a quick sidebar on a funny Denzel Washington story? Mm-hmm. Um, we were doing a Q&A for Fences, and I mentioned um, how thrilling it must be to bring August Wilson's work to a wider audience. Mm-hmm. And he interrupts me and says, you did say wider, right? <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, sorry, couldn't resist. I'm sure that clicked immediately. Yeah. <laughs> what? Oh. <laughs> uh, this is a good question from Marshall Schaefer. That last one came from Stonefield Source, by the way. Oh, the silencer. No, I haven't seen Silence, I should admit, but I just think Hacksaw Ridge is a... He's good in Silence, and it's sure. it's it's an, a more internal performance, I guess, uh, although it's he does emotional stuff. I just think that this boils down to the movie, and mm-hmm. I think Hacksaw is going to be more well-liked. Uh, for Marshall, wants to know which of the big three that we're talking about, Moonlight, La La Land, and Manchester, is likeliest to peak early, like Social Network or Boyhood? That's always a good question. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, they're all, all three are doing a burning really at good the right job. time right yeah. now. And <sighs> I mean, La La Land finally opens. Is it this week in limited release? Yeah, I think yeah. that. You know, people think that a movie peaks early. Like, like the answer to this question for many is probably going to end up being Moonlight after the fact. Mm-hmm. But that's simply because they think that it's a best picture threat right now. And I, I do not think that it's a threat to win best picture. Really? Yeah, I, I just, I, I think it's a, it's an amazing film, the best of the year. But I don't think it's one that will translate to a vast body of people like this. And that La La Land is so much, such an easier vote. It's so, interesting, though. You talk to people who see Moonlight, and everyone connects with it. Yeah. I've, I haven't spoken I mean, to a single person who said, eh, it was okay. If it wins, it would just it would be staggering to me. Like, I would be so impressed. And I've never been so impressed yeah. by the Academy. So why should I expect to now? And it, again, it's not like I'm beating up on them. It's just that it's such a vast group of people. I mean, you're mm-hmm. talking about like 7,000 people. And you know how 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 does the musical that takes place in Los Angeles that is critically acclaimed and just yeah. won the New York Film Critics Prize not win that award and leave you, know? you smiling all day? Yeah, but I think that all three have done a really good job of not peaking too early. You know, we're we're not oh, yeah, we're absolutely. into December and we're not sick of any of them. You know, give it time, <laughs> <laughs> right? And then last one here from Daniel. Do you think the Oscar So White movement will take hold this year, especially with a film like La La Land destined to win big? That's a good question. I mean, if 
obviously it's not going to take hold in the nominations. I think that mm-hmm. there's going to be a, an outsized number of, of nominations for people of color, which is great. It's really exciting. And yeah. all deserving. Uh, but then if La La Land ends up being the sweeper that I'm talking about, does that then open the door for that conversation to poke through? I don't know. I mean, I, I think that Denzel's winning Best Actor. I think that Viola Davis is winning Best Supporting Actress. And Mahershala Ali seems really strong for Best Supporting Actor. That should be a pretty yeah. big moment. And, and especially Denzel, because he'll be one of like seven people to have won three Oscars for acting. I so. really, you know, for the longest time, I was well, after I saw Fences, I was like, "Well, it's over. It's Denzel." I, I don't know. You know, it's it's obviously down to him and Casey Affleck, mm-hmm. and both deserving, both fantastic, both in you know just powerhouses. And uh, for a long time, I thought Casey couldn't take it because it's such an internal performance. Mm-hmm. But the more I talk to people, the more people really, really love that movie. Yeah, those are the two. Those are the two that are contending. I mean. I, I was when I was watching La La again. I was like, "Is there a possibility for Gosling to swoop in there?" Because he has. I wondered about that too. To be honest, they kept the powder dry on him in yes. a way because he's been doing Blade Runner the whole yes. time. He's in town. He's so doing now quite he's a back, bit this week, and yeah. it's like, it's interesting. You know, he's yeah. probably going to win the Globe, right? Like, yeah, I think his only competition would be Hugh Grant, really. Yeah, so he's yeah. going to win that. Um, yeah, no, anyway. I I am definitely not ruling out Ryan Gosling. There's a lot of road left on this season. If I sound nasally, I'm still getting I'm, over. I'm also sick. I don't know <laughs> so, if you can tell. I'm sorry, everyone. <laughs> the two interviews I recorded last week, Kevin Costner and uh, Dev Patel, which is this week's interview. Dev I, was, Patel. I, I had like congestion for both of them. I was fighting it so much. So if you hear that on the interview, I'm so sorry. But he ha- he was sick too. Oh yeah, <laughs> he well, was that like guy's me too, man. Burning the candle at both yeah. ends. I yeah. saw him. Um, he did some Q and A's at the ArcLight over Thanksgiving weekend, mm-hmm. and he was with Sunny, the little. Mm-hmm. Boy who plays him Sonny as Pawan. a kid, yep. and the real Saru Briarly, mm-hmm. and my God, that Sonny! I think he's seven or nine, somewhere around there. He is a superstar in the making. Definitely, yeah, he is he's so cute. charming. He's adorable and a really good actor. Well, uh, it's a great conversation we have with Dev. So I'm uh, sure he's amazing. So enjoy that after this. Let's uh, start with where you're from. Calcutta. Which part? I'm adopted. I'm not really Indian. I'm starting to remember. Saru, you're a beautiful boy. You're very proud of yourself. A lot of fight forgotten. You okay? I had another family. A mother. A brother. I can still see their faces. What How long were you on the train? A couple of days. A couple of days. It would take a lifetime to search all the stations in India. What if you do find home and they're not even there? And you just keep searching. I don't have a choice. What was she like? Beautiful. Every night I imagine that I'm walking those streets home. 
and I know every single step of the way. And I whisper in her ear, I'm here. Welcome back, everyone. I'm here with Dev Patel, star of uh, two films this year. Unless I'm missing one, actually. Lion and uh, The Man Who Knew Infinity. Thanks for coming on the show, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Uh, I want to go back, you know, obviously, to to when most people became aware of you. Obviously, Slumdog Millionaire, eight years ago now. Uh, Does it feel like eight years? It feels like a... It does feel like eight years. Yeah. Absolutely. You've been doing a lot. I've been doing a fair bit. Um... It, it's yeah it's been an interesting journey when you kind of first shot out of the canon so to speak with mm-hmm. that movie uh what was your like personal mandate like what goals did you have for yourself in this business and how have they maybe shifted in the last couple of years they uh you know when i that was my first film and I, I came off a television show that i'd been literally plucked off the streets from so i was still still trying to grasp the art of acting in front of a camera you know when I was did the TV show before that I didn't know what a boom mic looked like or what speed meant or <laughs> anything but the word action mm-hmm. and uh, then the next audition I got was for this film and I got it and uh, it was a real blessing because it opened up so many opportunities for me uh, but at the same time you know I felt you know for, for your first film to come out and win eight Oscars and you're you're suddenly like you say cannonballed into this mm-hmm. limelight and you're walking these carpets with these cinematic greats it kind of gives you a level of anxiety because you've you know I was 17 18 at the time and I was like god I, I really haven't been able to really test the waters make, make mistakes and understand build a taste really or, or a style so you know it, that's been interesting coming out of that and uh you know, I, f- I never quite felt worthy, I would say, you know, mm-hmm. when I was walking those carpets so, with all those great people with those really long um, resumes. So it's been a, it's been a driving force in a way to earn, earn that place, mm-hmm. you know, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I was looking at some, you know, just online yesterday preparing and I was looking at some photos from that time. You were such a baby man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And now you've got the mane, you've got the long uh, hair. The I'm, just, I'm jealous yeah. of the hair. I know. I, 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 I tell you, it's, it's a, it does its own thing. It's an absolute <laughs> nightmare. But, um, it, yeah, it was, I was really young yeah. and it was a lot to take in. Yeah. I grew my hair out recently. Actually, <laughs> a year ago, I had my little midlife crisis. You've got a, that's a ways off. For you. <laughs> but my hair is very straight. Yeah. So I'm very, jealous of yeah, any kind of bend heavy. in your hair <laughs> uh do you you think there's any chance you and danny might do something again hey look i would love to uh, we keep in touch touch yeah. once in a while and always pop him an email to congratulate him for jobs or the stuff he's up to mm-hmm. i'm really excited to see train spotting too but he yeah i would love to I, I would absolutely love to he created a career for me yeah and really you know hedged a lot of bets on a complete unknown with very little experience and and, and changed my life. Uh, 
and he's a unique filmmaker and how yeah. he works as well. So I'm sure that was a unique experience. I mean, not that you even knew because it was your first movie, but to kind of come out and work with a guy like him, the way he works on set. Completely. I, I say it as a silly anecdote, but I say, you know, Danny Ball put me on the map and Garth Davis put me on Google Maps, but it's, <laughs> they are of the same ilk. Yeah. They are totally immersive filmmakers. Mm-hmm. And you really feel like they're in the trenches with you and they, they come at it from a real space of raw emotion and, mm-hmm. and, and soulfulness and and there's a carnality to both of them mm-hmm. in the way they describe things to you you know Danny you know his, his hair standing up on his head and he's sweating and he's almost on the verge of tears trying to <laughs> get you know explain a, an emotion to you and the same with Garth you know he'll just come over and hug you for like 10 minutes <laughs> to ground your energy and, and, and both of them give a part of their personal life to you mm-hmm. you know so you know because when you're on camera it can it can be very selfish in a way because you're, you're constantly exposing yourself and there are filmmakers that come in and you feel objectified but these th- those these two filmmakers in particular they'll be like no let me tell you about a moment in my life where I went through an emotion like this or I felt a heartbreak or this and mm-hmm. you you will go an extra mile for a person like that yeah well, uh, since we're on the on the subject of Garth, let's let's dive into Lion. Uh, this movie, you know, I cried. <laughs> I also had a my wife and I had a son this year, so ah, this kind of subject matter is a little tough to wrangle yeah. with in a theater. You know, thank you. <laughs> uh, but you know, what did meeting the real Saru uh, do for you? I, I'm I'm often curious. Uh, you know, when people play real life characters, mm. like if there was anything about the person that they wanted to carry across in their performance. Well, I I didn't meet him for so I prepped for eight months and then I, the first thing I shot was the climax of the film. So you didn't meet him before. The, so I hadn't met him before okay. we started shooting. And I for the audition process, I'd spent weeks just absorbing all the material I could about his life. Watching the great thing about playing someone that's still alive is that you know, and Google is very active. Uh, Saru is very active on the internet, so mm-hmm. he 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 goes and does talks around the world, you know, explaining a story, Google talks, things like that. But I I felt like I'd captured his essence. I really related to a lot of his journey, and then I got to meet him when we finished the India portion and flew to Australia just to begin the main part of my character, my part of the journey. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, we, we shot minutes from his home in Hobart and we had breakfast together and it was a really, really nice experience, you know, to, to meet him. I was very nervous cause we'd got the biggest scenes in the can. So I was like, <laughs> I hope he accepts me, but he, it was really warm and funny and, uh, just validated the thoughts I had about him, but he's the epitome of a fiercely driven young man. Yeah. You know, he has an incredible memory. I met him after a long time for the second time on this press tour and he told me the eggs I'd ordered that day the, the clothes I was wearing the music we listened to on the car on the way to this barbecue together everything mm-hmm. and I was like God you've, you've got an astonishing memory but we spoke a lot about uh, you know the idea of this guy f- finding a, a needle in a haystack from space like he found yeah. his mother from space and <laughs> that blew my mind yeah and I was like, how, how did you remember it, those images so vividly? Because I hardly remember anything from when I was a child. And he spoke about astral travel. Yeah. And I'd never heard of that concept before. But he goes, as soon as I went to Australia, 
I got adopted. As a child, I would go to sleep and my heart would begin to race really fast. And I felt like I'd come out of my body and drifted into space. And I was looking above India. And then I would all of a sudden materialize on those streets. <laughs> and I would be with my mother and my brother. And I would do that every single night. And it just so happened that at this time, this app had come out that could mirror that. Mm -hmm. He could go into space, hover over India, and then zoom in. And uh, I was like, wow, that's really, really amazing. And then we had conversations about being a product of two really loving environments and feeling a sort of survivor's guilt mm -hmm. and trying to suppress a part of his identity to fit in, which I could relate to being a British Indian kid going to school and trying to hide part of my Indian heritage just to fit in and not get bullied and whatever. There's a lot of things we could relate to. Yeah, without hopping on. Sorry. Well, speak. No, please. Uh, speaking of the uh, the guilt element is what's interesting to me. Uh, just zeroing in on this idea of the guilt that he felt. You know, when you watch the film, I kind of feel like, uh, you know, you, you're sitting there. You almost want him to just snap out of it. But then yeah. when he relays that idea that he felt so guilty, knowing that his mother and his brother were looking for him, that is such a powerful thought. And and that's when for me it really just kind of clicked in. Uh, talk to me about that kind of stuff because there's a lot of internal hmm. work that you're doing here and uh, working with Garth the director and, and kind of bringing that stuff to the surface yeah it, it was um, it's really you know it's not a performance space I've been in before you know uh, I've played slightly louder characters people will know me from the Marigold Hotel films and things like that and it, it requires a a bigger command it's far more exhausting actually and uh, he's looking at this blurry laptop screen and he, he's trawling the ghosts of his past he's in a land of nostalgia and that was what we spoke about was there was a, a young man who you see glimpses of being really cool and funny and you know falls in love with a girl and then all of a sudden when this Pandora's box is opened where he sees these jellabies, which are like Indian fried street food that he always yearned to have as a child and he couldn't and he sees them at this home in Melbourne. Mm -hmm. He he ret starts to retreat into a land of nostalgia and becomes less present. And, the, you know, it affects all the relationships in his life, the one with his mother, the one with his brother, his father, and, of course, his girlfriend. And he, you know, it was it's difficult to, to really portray that and not overcook it. Yeah. Um, you know, there, w there were some scenes in the film that I sometimes wish were there mm. wh where you see him at work and you see, uh, you know, all of a sudden that, that anxiety starts to enthrall him. And uh, it gives you more of an idea of, oh, wait, this guy was trying to function in life, but this thing kind of uh, was crippling. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's what happened. Yeah. Yes, he became a sort of recluse. But we didn't want to go full you know Howard Hughes with it and sure. you know it's 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 you watch the film and then you all you all of a sudden realize god this guy's gone so far yeah into a, this nostalgic world yeah how is he going to pull himself out you know yeah i think you struck the right balance with it uh and let's also talk about Nicole Kidman mm -hmm. uh this the role as written is interesting because i was kind of worried like oh she's just going to be in it you know a little bit and then that'll be that and she's got a good amount of screen time, but she does so much with it as well. Mm. Like it's it's you know she's obviously one of our great actresses. But w how did you like uh, sharing the screen with her and what was working with her like? Yeah, c completely. I mean, I'm a I'm a dude from Rainers Lane, so <laughs> in London, which is like the last stop on the Piccadilly line. So to get the opportunity to share the space with 
the Nicole Kidman is <laughs> pretty mind-boggling, but she she's amazing. The moment I she walked in the room for the first rehearsal, it's like, wow, that's Nicole Kidman. You know, six foot two, glides in, and uh, she, yeah, she she. The first scene we did was quite a very heavy scene in the film where she reveals to her son a really big part about why she adopted him, mm-hmm. and she is just so amazing in the movie she really opened up part of her own personal life and you know she's she's a, she's a mother with adopted children and this is kind of a, an ode to them for her and it was a real joy just being in the space with her she's you know got a real presence yeah uh, like I said great film I, I remember when I first heard about it uh Greg Fraser is a friend, mm. and uh, I think he was more excited to shoot this movie than Rogue One. Like, he was just so pumped to go <laughs> yeah. out there and do this movie. And he really is a a big star of the film. Oh Greg. yeah, like uh, everyone talks about the you know the the actors and stuff, but the two other big characters in this movie are India and Australia, mm-hmm. and the way Greg captured them, he didn't exploit the poverty in India, but you felt like you were there with this child, mm-hmm. and. It, it's so to 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 capture scale in cinema is amazing, but then to also make it so intimate, that's what he did. These landscapes they plant in the audience's mind at the right at the beginning of the start credits, and you start to see the big sea and uh, Australia and all these things, and then you go to the red ochre land, mm-hmm. and that's purposefully there to plant that in the the viewer's mind, so yeah. that when I stumble upon it on the laptop they can all of a sudden it's there's a light bulb moment wait a minute i've seen that somewhere mm-hmm. and he he just you know for any actor you would die to be captured like that yeah you know, with that intimacy and that that taste and he just won a very deserving uh award he, at he got a frog you got the golden frog yeah <laughs> uh let's talk a little bit about the man who knew infinity uh i just saw that this this week actually oh, um, yeah. did you know uh help me with the pronunciation ramanujan ramanujan yeah did you know that story before you took on this no I, I, and then it, when I was reading the script, I was like, "Oh, wait a minute! This is that guy that Robin Williams was talking about in uh, in Goodwill Hunting." Oh yeah, yeah. That Indian guy plucked from obscurity who believed he he got the great he changed the world of mathematics, but all his equations were a gift from God. Mm-hmm. In his mind, he was uneducated, and he's just one of these great minds. And I was like, "Wow!" And the script had been floating around for. 10 years I think before it landed on my lap and you know I spoke to Matt and I said this film's really interesting for me to be able to take part in this journey but it's too mathematically dense and it's alienating me so what we worked on together for a year before we sent it to Jeremy was the idea of pushing forward this relationship between this older stiff collared British you know academia type you know Jeremy Irons character G.H. Hardy Mm -hmm. who is the mentor slash father figure to this young man who's come from India off a boat broken all cast has never you know worn a suit or a pair of shoes before and now he's there you know looking up to this man and it's that it was that that was really interesting to me how did you like working with Jeremy? Jeremy's an absolute superstar he is so special and you know he is an absolute technician of the craft mm-hmm. you know he you, you even in a read through with him the way he can modulate his voice 
it's like uh, it's just listening to an orchestra coming out <laughs> of one man's vocal box you know and he was r really generous and funny and you know he can be intimidating when you first meet him but he's the coolest coolest guy and I've really got to know him on that process and most of it was me and him sitting in a room together <laughs> and he taught me a lot you know we talk about lying and that reserve you're talking about that was what Jeremy told me he's like you know reserve is the hardest thing to capture on camera an emotional yeah. reserve and then you know you want to emotionally orgasm when the audience does <laughs> and that's right. the line is the key I came straight off infinity and that was fresh in my mind Jeremy's words oh wow was okay because as an actor you want to overcook every moment you want to get every emotion in there as well a young guy like myself mm -hmm. I can prove I can do this I can do that you know right. I can but it's the waiting which is more important yeah the anticipation it reminds me of something Michael Shannon said one time uh, he's Michael's funny because he has weird sayings he'll drop from time to time but yeah. one of them was I like to keep some of the juice in the lemon yeah <laughs> I had no idea Absolutely. what that meant but the more I talk to actors the more yeah. it makes sense uh, and uh, I wanted to talk about you know this concept of diversity in the business mm. is is really under scrutiny the last couple of years and deservingly so I wanted to ask you if you've ever felt like opportunities are at all limited for you because I look at you know your range of work and it's all great but a lot of the times mm. you look at Last Airbender or Best Exotic or even these two films uh, they're ethnic ethnically specific mm. so do you ever feel like certain doors aren't open to you I mean, it's a really tricky question that, because uh, would you, I mean, does Robert De Niro play ethnically specific characters? Right. Right? Yeah, you're right. And we don't, we don't, we don't torture him for the fact that he's playing a white guy mm -hmm. <laughs> or an Italian. Uh, we don't. We just embrace it as, hey, this is who this man is. And now he's trying to play a plethora of roles that are honest and true to his identity. Mm-hmm. So it confuses me sometimes because I feel people are mad at me for playing. I grew up as a British Indian guy. Mm -hmm. You know, I went to the church and the temple. I did it all. You know, uh, you know that's part of it. So I, I, when I look at Lion, I look at a guy, I want people to look at the transformation I went through. I don't mm -hmm. want them to look at me as an Indian guy. I want mm -hmm. them to look at he put on 25 pounds worth of weight he changed his voice to sound like an Australian mm -hmm. he spent eight months prepping that's what I want them to see yeah because that's difficult absolutely um, I don't want them to be like he's playing an Indian guy because I'm not the right. whole beauty of the story is that Saru as a man was torn away from India and then there's a moment in the scenes the film where I come out of the water and it's a baptism mm -hmm. he's an Aussie he has he's an alien to India actually mm-hmm that is as close to me as I can get when I was going there on Slumdog trying to discover this country. Mm -hmm. And now that being said, you know, are there scripts flooding in? Good scripts flooding in? There are scripts coming in, you know, that are Indian-centric, but are the good ones coming in? No. Um, and I would like to pride myself on the fact that out of the hundred Indian-centric scripts I get sent, the five I've chosen have landed yeah. in a way infinity as in a way the marigolds have some dog whatever it was um you know it's just me being selective and those somehow break through mm -hmm. and get a lot of airtime. i'm not saying it's because of me i just 
we've recognised a good story and we've fought hard for them I had yeah. to audition hard for it. Um, Marigold for instance mm-hmm. I had to fight for that it was a 45 year old middle aged man when, this, when the script was there and no one wanted to test me for it mm-hmm. you know I was too obvious for Lion coming off Slumdog I had to fight for it mm-hmm. so I just hope people don't look past the struggle it takes for us because then they're doing us a bigger injustice that way yeah um, but yeah I would, I'd lo- you know I'd love to play a role that it doesn't matter what his name is or where he's from yeah you know just maybe a man in love or, or whatever it is but you know it's happening slowly yeah you know and it, it's not to do with awards it's to do with the birth of the stories mm-hmm. you know there needs to be more ideas coming in and Absolutely. more people writing diverse stories and you know I'm also proud of my heritage because I've started to understand it growing up so I'm enthralled by it mm-hmm. and I don't want to be ashamed of that I want to go there and tell it it's a, a population of like over a billion people so that I'm sure there's a lot of stories to come out of that country Absolutely. and I'd love to be a man representing out of the Bollywood field mm-hmm. I don't you know I want to be that guy that's doing I can be a someone that people like me can relate to mm-hmm. the guys growing up in America London wherever they are oh man look he looks like me like I did when I snuck downstairs and watched Enter the Dragon for the first time and saw Bruce Lee I was like god there's an Asian guy mm-hmm. leading commanding this screen mm-hmm. you know it's cool do you get asked about that a lot? all the time yeah uh, all the time and I, I think I've been thinking about it more and more because I, I don't want to feel guilty about it why should I? that's unfair like you know would you go to Michael Jackson and say why do you keep playing <laughs> you know <laughs> you know we try I'm now the roles are getting diverse like if you can't compare Infinity to Marigold Hotel right but people will be like they're the same he's playing an Indian guy and I'm like what well that kind of speaks to something doesn't it yeah it yeah. speaks to actually it's even worse you're yeah. doing me a great injustice it's a period film I've got a starch suit on and um, it's, it's just completely different yeah you know? And I recognize all of that. The reason I ask is just from an industry perspective. If, 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 because this is a business that likes to pigeonhole. Yeah. You know, constantly for various reasons. So it's just something that was. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he's the Indian guy. I'd like to just be the guy. Yeah. That would be nice. Yeah. Well, I think the newsroom is a good example. Uh, yeah, of, yeah. Of, and I wanted to talk about that a little bit because it's kind of a shame to me that that's not an ongoing series because <laughs> I imagine he would have had reams of material yeah. for this past election and just what's what's gone on the last two years or whatever. But uh, how did you like uh, the Aaron Sorkin experience? Kind of. Uh, it was interesting. I had a and a the other day and I was talking about newsroom and the... the the first time I decided to sign on was when I went to the read-through and heard Jeff Daniels do that amazing speech about why America isn't the greatest country in the world, but it could be. Right. And he completely blew it out of the park and everyone started clapping and it was really interesting with this whole Trump thing going on now. It really struck a chord like Aaron had seen into the future in a way, but it kind of was um, amazing to be able to be a part of that I felt completely overwhelmed and not intelligent enough. Uh, you know, I don't think anyone feels intelligent enough when yeah, you're reading those stuff. <laughs> uh, you know, it's a big ask. Yeah. The amount of information and research that goes into each of those scripts, he has to churn them out every two weeks. Yeah, it's Im- it's basically impossible to do that and keep the same the same pace, this, the same quality. So it's like, do we keep going because it's HBO and you have the inbuilt viewers, so you're going to get paid? Or and risk losing the quality, or do you step away 
when you've realized that this is as much as you can do and try and hold that same mm-hmm. you know product yeah and then i just wanted to close here uh we were talking a little bit beforehand but anthony myris is a friend i know i know my share of aussies i guess <laughs> but uh, you're working on Ho- hotel mumbai yeah. with him and i'd, I'd love to hear what you how's that going it's such an incredible story obviously and yeah that was one again people are gonna be like he's playing an indian guy now i'm just i'm just <laughs> thinking that but no i i I had just left Bombay and landed in London and I opened the door to my home and my parents were looking at the TV crying. Hmm. And that's when I was like, wow, you know, they're they watching these this siege go on hmm. at this Taj Hotel. And uh, it just completely tore me up. You know, the, those terrorists went to Chhatrapati Shivaji Terminus, VT Station, Victoria Terminus, which is the biggest train station in India where we danced at the end of Slumdog and they opened fire with AK-47s and killed so many people Mm -hmm. and when whispers came out about a film being made I called up my team straight away and I was like I want to be a part of this I want to help breathe life into this my face should be a part of this movie and uh, then we didn't hear anything and then all of a sudden Anthony popped out of the blue and said I wrote this character for you and it was this amazing synergy we sat down and he's such a a warm genuine very passionate director who just loves cinema and the character was based on a real person but I wanted to move away from that to change it up so we turned him into a Sikh man mm-hmm. which is a, a person that wears a turban there's a whole belief system to it but in a nutshell he's a man with a big beard and a turban mm-hmm. and uh, you know hotels are fascinating because uh, you know the ho- a whole plethora of society can come and collide there so you've got a poor boy from a slum who can barely afford to feed his children going in to this hotel he puts on his magical uniform that allows him to pour a blue label vodka for a Russian oligarch and in the streets of India who'd never be allowed within 100 feet of you know uh, such a person mm-hmm. and when terror happens to to a place like this this microcosm of the world this hotel uh, you start to see who the real heroes are you know who mm-hmm. the, and you and people's true colors come out and he this man with a turban you know people can turn on him because to the to the uncultured eye yeah he can seem intimidating he can look like your stereotype of what you think a terrorist is mm-hmm. so it was my idea and anthony embraced it and we went and we've created this character and we haven't finished filming it yet so mm-hmm. i can't really say too much i probably have said too much <laughs> no 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 I, I, look for, I, I look forward to people discovering anthony i met anthony at tell your ride like the yeah. tell your ride film festival like I don't know, eight years ago, seven years. He had a short film. Yeah, the palace. And he's yeah, and he's such a talented guy. And really? I, th- I think he's gonna he's gonna be a real discovery. Amazing for sense of humor, and yeah, he's he's gonna be one to watch. Yeah. Well, uh, again, the movies are uh, the Man Who Knew Infinity, which you can check out on DVD, I think, right now, and Lion, which is in theaters. Go see that. <laughs> and uh, Dev is at the tail end of a press tour here. He's a trooper. So th- <laughs> thanks, man. I no, really appreciate you. you coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening, everyone. Remember to subscribe and check back next week when I'll be talking to the Jungle Book director, John Favreau. You've been listening to Playback at Variety. Variety.